welcome to Addiction in Simple Terms. My name is Dr. Julian Keats. I'm a specialist in addiction medicine with over 10 years experience assessing and treating drug and alcohol related problems. And in this podcast, I explain some of the important ideas in addiction to help you make sense of your experiences and hopefully make some changes for the better in your life. This is episode eight. In episodes one through five, I spoke about why people use drugs, the progression from experimental use through to ongoing regular use, and how some people end up stuck in a cycle of addiction. In episode six, I gave an overview of the various responses to drug use at a society level and an introduction to the treatment of addiction and dependence. In episode seven, I discussed detoxification and withdrawal management. In this episode, I'm going to look at relapse prevention. Please note that I use the terms drugs and drug use throughout the podcast to refer to all drugs of addiction, including alcohol, tobacco, illicit and illegal drugs, and prescription drugs or pharmaceuticals. Let's make a start. It should come as no surprise that stopping drug use is only the beginning of recovery. To maintain that initial progress and make real inroads into addressing drug-related problems, you also need to avoid slipping back to harmful drug use in the future. That's where relapse prevention becomes important. Relapse prevention is about addressing how you think, feel and act specifically towards drugs, but also about yourself and the wider world. It involves building and maintaining motivation for change, developing skills to enact that change and finding the support to help you sustain change in the long term. And relapse prevention doesn't just apply to people who are addicted or have become dependent on drugs. The principles of relapse prevention are just as useful to someone who's not addicted but wants to reduce or stop drug use nonetheless. It may be that you're experiencing problems related to drugs that would benefit from doing something about your pattern of use, or maybe you want to interrupt a pattern of drug use before it reaches the stage of full-blown addiction or dependence. Either way, relapse prevention approaches can help. Now, addiction can be described as a chronic disease that has a relapsing and remitting course meaning that it's a long-term condition that comes and goes to varying degrees, with periods of heavier and more problematic use, the relapsing part, and periods of remission, where drug use decreases to manageable levels or stops completely. Typically, a person will find that at different times in their life, depending on what's going on around them and what's going on inside them, they'll experience many fluctuations from more severe to less severe problems, from relapse to remission and back again many times. The idea of relapse prevention has baked into it the acknowledgement that even when a person has stopped their use or has their use under some sort of control, relapse is a constant risk that can just be a bump in the road to recovery or something that completely derails the attempt to change. Relapse prevention efforts aim to, ideally, prevent relapse where possible, but also to limit the periods of relapse when they occur and help the person get things back on track and re-establish remission. By examining the factors that lead to a relapse, hopefully the person can learn what to look out for in future so they can recognise the clues of an impending relapse and take action before it happens. As you spend more and more time in remission, with fewer and fewer episodes of relapse, you eventually figure out how to achieve lasting remission and move towards what's sometimes called recovery. 
Let's pause here and take a look at some of the terminology. You've heard me mention relapse, which is a return to ongoing problematic drug use that a person has been trying to change, moderate or avoid. It might be a relapse to frequent, heavy or uncontrolled drug use, or it might be a relapse to a pattern of use that's associated with harmful consequences or the risk of harmful consequences. Sometimes a person will relapse to drug use that starts out at a lower level than previously, but pretty soon they fall back to their usual patterns or levels, and we see a rapid reinstatement of dependence. It's also not uncommon that when someone relapses, things can seem even worse than they were before, as if they've just thrown their hands up in the air and gone all in. Not quite as severe as a relapse is what we call a lapse. When someone has a lapse, this implies that it's a temporary slip back to using, maybe once or for one session or a brief period of use. A lapse is more like a two steps forward, one step back sort of situation, rather than a right back where you started situation. When a lapse occurs, there's the chance that a person can activate some damage control measures or reach out immediately and stop it becoming a full-blown relapse. And then once the dust settles, they can use it as a learning opportunity to look at what needs to change in their relapse prevention plan to avoid similar lapses in future. Another term to understand is recovery. Recovery is a state of voluntarily sustained control over drug use, that maximises one's health and well-being and their participation in life and so-called normal society. For some people, this may mean no drug use at all. For some, it may mean sticking to an appropriately prescribed medication, such as methadone, that helps them stay in control. And for others, it may mean consistently moderate use of some drugs. Relapse prevention treatment, or Relapse prevention counselling is the term used when there's formalised care or support that explicitly helps you to address relapse prevention, such as when you see a drug and alcohol counsellor or clinician. Having an independent but supportive and understanding person or group of people in your corner, usually with specific training and skills and sometimes also with their own experiences to draw on, can be a really powerful tool. They can call you out on unhelpful or inaccurate thinking patterns and help you to identify counterproductive behaviours. They can suggest new ways of doing things and teach you new skills. And they can provide a safe place to work through the challenging emotions that are sure to come up, including things like fear, uncertainty and self-doubt. But just like your personal trainer or basketball coach, they can teach you and encourage you to practice, but it's you that needs to do the work if you're going to get the real benefit. Other people can lead you and guide you and cheer you on, but you have to commit to your own personalised plan of action to really see the results you're after. And finally, sometimes you might hear relapse prevention services called follow-up care or aftercare, especially if you've come out of hospital, a detox facility or a residential rehab. And that's fair enough, but in some senses I think those terms downplay the importance of this aspect of treatment. I like to call it all relapse prevention work because work acknowledges the effort and commitment that it takes. And the formula for work is pretty simple. Work is the product of time and effort. Okay, let's look in more depth at the different aspects, motivation, skills, and support. First up is the motivation side of things. 
I'm not going to spend too long on this because I'll quite possibly do a whole episode on motivational enhancement techniques later. But I do want to share a couple of my favourite sayings with you that might sound a bit like cliches, but might also cheer you on when you're feeling a bit disillusioned. In the relapse prevention phase of treatment, you've presumably already decided that change is needed. You've probably weighed up the pros and cons of your drug use and the pros and cons of change and come to the conclusion that something needs to be done. You may have already stopped drug use and undergone detoxification, either at home or in a detox facility. Now, you need to commit that momentum and energy to changing your lifestyle and learning new skills. Because here comes cliche number one, nothing changes if nothing changes. I'm going to repeat that. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And by that I mean just stopping drug use and then gritting your teeth and hoping you can ride things out is not going to be enough. Your daily routine, your social circle, your idea of what's fun or interesting has all come to involve the use of drugs. And that's not going to change unless you actively go out and change the things that go on around you and go on inside you. It's going to feel uncomfortable and strange to begin with. Change always does. But one of the most amazing things about humans is our ability, with time and effort, to adapt to a new normal. You put time and effort into drug use once upon a time, now you need to put time and effort into change. And that brings me to cliche number two. Change is in the doing, not in the hoping. I hate to tell you this, but all those bumper stickers that say, anything is possible if you just believe, are all fake news. Just hoping, just believing, they're not enough. Your goal is to replace old ways of behaving with new, carefully planned out actions that will help you get from where you're at to where you want to be. This means thinking about the challenges in advance and developing not just a plan A, but also an alternative plan B and even a backup plan C. It means amassing all the tools and resources at your disposal, including asking for help if that's what's needed. It means having gamed out all the possible outcomes in your head so that nothing catches you by surprise. And it means you need to follow through and execute the plan, knowing that at times it may be difficult or uncomfortable, but ultimately it's all about getting you closer to your goals. Change is in the doing, not in the hoping. Next up are some practical relapse prevention skills. You can Google the term relapse prevention skills and you'll find there are heaps of resources out there you can browse through. There are websites, top 10 lists, articles, worksheets, videos, self-help guides, mailing lists and all sorts of other stuff which all might have something to interest your particular tastes and I would recommend you explore this at some stage. What I'll do here is just run through some of the common themes that would form a good basis for your relapse prevention plan. First, avoid high-risk situations. These are the people, places and activities around which you usually use your drug of choice. This may mean cutting out some of your so-called friends and telling others not to come round and offer you drugs. You probably need to delete some numbers out of your phone and defriend some people on Facebook. This is especially the case with your dealer's phone number. You may be tempted to hold on to it just in case, but that's a really bad idea. Because as soon as you start to waver, relapse is just a phone call away. You're almost setting yourself up for failure if you don't delete that number 
right now. You may need to walk home by a different route or get off the train or bus at a different stop to avoid walking past a known drug dealing area or liquor outlet or pub. You may need to skip watching football with your drinking buddies or going camping or fishing for a while. And you may need to take evasive action for risk situations you can't avoid, such as giving a trusted friend your keycard on payday or planning to visit your grandmother in her nursing home on Friday evening so you don't get dragged along for after-work drinks or organising a whale-watching cruise for your wedding anniversary instead of a booze cruise. Second is manage triggers. Mistaken beliefs and unhelpful thought loops, as well as challenging emotions like anxiety, depression or anger, can all increase your chances of relapsing. Talking honestly and openly with a supportive person whose opinion and advice you can respect can help you recognise things you wouldn't on your own and begin to work through them. It could be a sponsor from a support group like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, someone else you know who's in recovery, a drug and alcohol counsellor, a psychologist or even your family doctor. In some cases there may be a diagnosable mental health condition that also needs treatment. If you feel this could be the case, speak with your doctor or mental health professional. Third is deal with cravings. You're likely to have some cravings on your road to recovery, and so you need to have a plan for them. Cravings might be set off by any of the high-risk situations or triggers I've already mentioned, or seem to just come out of the blue when in an idle moment you think, gee, I wouldn't mind a little whatever right now. Once a craving starts and you get the idea in your head, it often builds a momentum of its own, leading to an almost automatic behaviour of seeking out and using your drug of choice, or maybe even some other drug if you can't get your first choice. If you learn how to interrupt or abort a craving, or just experience it without responding by seeking out a drug, it'll usually pass or become less intense and more manageable within 10 or 15 minutes. Some techniques involve delaying any actions or responses to the craving and allowing it time to pass, distracting yourself with some other activity like a sweet snack, a shower or some physical exercise, de-escalating by practicing some breathing or relaxation exercises, and doing something else that gets you away from the high-risk place, person or activity that's triggering the craving. Cravings are at their strongest and most frequent when you first stop using they will decrease over time. Fourth, are drink or drug refusal skills. Just say no is not an effective method if you're put on the spot when someone offers. Thinking ahead of a few replies and actually practicing them out loud can help you to sound more confident and certain when you have to say no for real. And I'm happy to go on the record right here and say you're allowed to tell a little fib or a white lie if you need to. A few examples might be, no thanks, I have to drive later. No thanks, I'm having a spell for a while. I stopped doing that a while ago. I'm on a new blood pressure medication that reacts with it badly. I'm being drug tested at a job interview later this week. My doctors told me I can't because there's something wrong with my liver. It made me violently ill the last few times, so no thanks. Or even... I'm good, I've had enough already. Some people will be persistent, so you may have to follow up with, I already said no, followed by, don't make me tell you again, or now you're making me uncomfortable. But after you've said no a few times, most people will get the hint and stop offering. If they don't, 
well, they're probably someone you should avoid anyways. Number five is proactively manage stress. When a person's under stress or tired, they're less able to resist cravings and more likely to slip back to old coping strategies. Now, experiencing some stress is a normal part of life and you can't expect to eliminate all sources of stress. But getting some regular exercise to burn off nervous tension and ensuring adequate sleep is a good place to start. Getting yourself organised and using your problem-solving skills to deal with the things you can fix as they happen will stop pressure and stress building up. And there'll be other sources of stress you can't fix. Your job here is to recognise and accept that and look at how you respond. Using some relaxation techniques, some breathing exercises and some distraction techniques to break unhelpful thought loops can all be helpful. Constructive conflict resolution and anger management skills are also useful to diffuse potentially stressful situations. And number six is scheduling some enjoyable activities. When your drug use stops, you might find you haven't done much else for fun for a long time, and other activities seem less interesting or enjoyable. Putting in some effort and setting aside some time to do something you used to enjoy or think you could come to enjoy in the future can help bring some of the colour back to your life. But just remember, it may take a little while, because in effect you have to relearn what normal healthy fun looks and feels like. If boredom is one of the things that's caused you to use drugs in the past, then this is especially important. And if loneliness has been another trigger, then planning something that helps you reconnect with good people will also help. Okay, that's enough on the skills. Let's look briefly at the role of good supports in relapse prevention. I think the usefulness of good supports has probably already come through in much of what I've said. Having someone who can give you a perspective from the outside where they're not so caught up in the emotional ups and downs that you might be going through can help you see things more clearly. They can help by watching out for early warning signs of relapse. They might have specific training or lived experience that you don't and be able to spot obstacles and suggest solutions that you hadn't thought of. They can provide moral support, a sympathetic ear, a place to vent or a shoulder to cry on. And even just checking in with someone regularly or knowing that you've got another appointment coming up or a regular meeting to attend can provide some accountability and keep you honest in your efforts at relapse prevention. Non-drug using friends and family are a good place to start and are often desperate to help in whatever way they can and really pleased to be asked. But I'd suggest you always try and have several supports to spread the load, so you're not putting all your eggs in one basket and wearing out the one support person. And I'd make sure some of your supports are trained professionals or from specific support groups, because then they have a little bit more distance and less emotional baggage or family history with you. The places you might look for relapse prevention support includes drug and alcohol counsellors, Mutual aid groups such as Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous and Smart Recovery groups. Churches and charities often have a drug and alcohol services arm. Mental health services and psychologists may provide some support. And of course, you can always talk to your family doctor. And increasingly, there are also online relapse prevention resources that may suit some people as well. Alright, it's time for me to wrap things up because this episode's gone on a bit longer than usual. 
The key messages from this episode are that relapse prevention is a learning process that's an essential part on the journey to recovery. It needs to be actively planned and personalised to provide the motivation, skills and supports that will get you from where you're at to where you want to be. And then you need to do the work, which means putting in the time and the effort to follow through with your plan and apply what you've learned. And I'm going to finish with one of my favourite sayings, change is in the doing, not in the hoping. My name is Dr. Julian Keats, and this is Addiction in Simple Terms. 